Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint with me today, Jay Harvey. How are you, Jay? It's great to be back, Jim. Thanks for having me. Always glad to see you, Jay. And uh, is this summer treating you well? It really is. Getting some good reading done, some writing, and uh, still making some personal connections here and there. Whoa, whoa, so. whoa. Good reading. <laughs> what are you reading? Well, I'm reading some Stanley Hauerwas, uh, I have to say, which is a, kind of an unknown theologian, but, but some of us know him. And then I'm also reading about uh, Will Willimon, who is a, is a famous preacher, a very good preacher, and he's got some books out on, on preaching. And So you've laid Stephen King novels down. I have. And, and but, picking up something else. But every once in a while, you know, I can... I can get on Facebook and find the gossip pages and just get lost for a while. Uh, gotcha. So it's okay. Gotcha. Today we have a guest we're so glad to have. Yes. And this is somebody I know that you do not know, right. but uh, somebody that I've learned to respect and admire. His name is Ben Sand. Ben is uh, not with us in the studio. He's out west in his hometown called Portland, Oregon. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. And uh, Ben has a story. And let me tell you, his story has informed what he is doing now, and I guess that could be said for all of us, isn't it? Yes. That we're informed by where we've been, our journey. But Ben's story has helped propel him into a most remarkable journey, which actually is changing the way people live, and we want to talk about that today. And uh, Ben, I'm just, I'm so ready to get into it. I'm going to ask you some tough questions. Sure. All right. You'll be on for it. Let's do it. Ben Sand, you live in Portland. That's home, but that's not where you started out. Where'd you start out? Well, I was originally um, born and raised in Spokane, Washington, in the Inland Empire, and grew grew up the son of a single parent mother. My dad died when I was six years old, and grew up in a home with five other brothers and sisters, where we had our backs against the wall, and so much of my childhood experience was rooted in a really challenging situation kind of filled with violence and alcoholism and poverty and was able through the grace of God to be able to navigate through those waters and find myself in relationship with Jesus, which propelled me to be able to get to college and get out of Dodge <laughs> and found myself in Portland, Oregon. Okay. So you're one of six children. Is that right? That's right. Which number are you out of six? I'm the second to oldest. Ah. You had an intersection where you would say you discovered Jesus or he found you when you were a young man, and that caused uh, your life course to change. You found yourself in college in Portland, right? Yeah, I can honestly say that from my perspective, I, I didn't grow up in the church and um, grew up you know, in an environment where I would go to church from time to time, but that the, there was a huge disconnect to me from the lifestyle that I was living and my experience of Christianity and the teachings of Jesus. Those two things did not line up in any way, shape or form. And mm -hmm. I got really serious about my faith through a, a mentor relationship, through the ministry of young life and um, found myself following an older college student who I admired and, appreciated the way that he lived. And it was in the context of following him where I learned that his choices, his ethics, the way that he thought about everything from money to time to relationships was informed by the teachings of Jesus. And that was for me where I got turned on to this idea that the way to walk 
and the way to talk and the way to live is the way of Jesus. Okay, before we move on to the way you live, how are you living then in terms of, give me just a glimpse of the personal bin sand. I mean, is it true that you were all about football and you were going to be on the football team and all that at college? Yeah, I mean, I, I went to I went to college originally to play football at Eastern Washington University. And sport was always a really productive way for me to deal with some of the energy that I had and some of the anger and all of that. And got involved and realized that it is true that white men can't jump. So, <laughs> so I ended up I ended up not playing football and found myself in this kind of fascinating intersection of wanting to work with young people and also wanting to be involved in politics. And so did some political speech writing in college. I was an English major, so words are my jam. And hmm. uh, found myself both enamored by the political process and how ideas come to life through democracy and also found myself equally as enamored by the idea that there is nothing more powerful than a healthy adult building a relationship with someone who is on the margin and how Christ can use that relationship to transform. And it was really my college experience where, where I realized that the things that I had thought were important were really not important to me any longer. And what was most important to me was giving my life away to the underdog. So I have so many questions, um, but I want to start this way. You're uh, the founder of something called The Contingent, Ben. So what's that about? Yeah, so The Contingent is what we describe as a venture nonprofit. And what, what that means is we make investments in nonprofit startup ideas. And if, if there's an idea that's out there, we are that, that serves vulnerable young people, children, families, um, works in diverse communities to empower leaders. We are interested. And so at any given time, we have a portfolio of different initiatives that um, really explore a unique space where the people of faith, the people of the city, the people of Oregon, and the people of government come together and think differently about partnership and what it means to serve the most vulnerable. And so that organization. I have the privilege of serving as the CEO and founder of that organization. And we find ourselves in the mix in the state of Oregon in a pretty unique way. Wow. How long has that been going? Yeah. So when I first moved to Portland, right out of college, I worked for Young Life, actually, out of the gate. And in 2005, I realized that I was a serial kind of social entrepreneur. <laughs> and so I got the first taste of entrepreneurship by starting a scholarship program in 2005 called Act Six. And that scholarship program took off. And as that grew, we knew we needed a new wine skin to hold the new wine. And so in 2008, we launched the Portland Leadership Foundation, which has then subsequently been rebranded as the contingent. And the contingent is our, our missions to empower leaders and mobilize community for the common good. But what we are is we're a group of people who are trained for action. And so we have thousands and thousands of people across Oregon that are doing hard things for kids and families, and we're taking ground.
Ben, I'm I'm excited. I'm curious, uh, but I want to I want to know what the bridge was after your intersection with Christ, and then what role did that play in in leading you to the contingent? Great, yeah. Thanks, Jay, for that question. So right out of college, when I moved into the inner city in Portland, there were a couple of young men that that lived with me. Uh, a young man named Jerry. We called him Snoop because he looked like Snoop the rapper. And uh, another young man named Trey. And those two gentlemen uh, were like spiritual sons to me, really. And one summer I took them to a camp in Central Oregon called the Washington Family Ranch. And those two stood up at the end of a week after hearing the gospel and decided that they wanted to follow Jesus. And I was over the moon. I was so excited um, that they were wanting to give their life and live their life in a way that would honor Christ. About two weeks later, we came home and Jerry and Trey shot and killed another young man in Kenilworth Park on 34th Holgate. And it was truly a shakedown moment for me, uh, a moment where I had to really wrestle with the fact that while these two young men desired to have spiritual renewal in their life, they were struggling and found it difficult to integrate the spiritual renewal that they desired into their fragmented social structures. And that really led me into a space of asking some deep, deep questions about my conviction, about what do I believe about ministry? What do I believe about how the gospel works on the street? And that got me to Luke chapter 10, which is the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan, Ben, is a famous parable of Jesus, maybe his most famous. And uh, it was given actually in response to a longer conversation about what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus talks about the great commandments of loving God and your neighbor as yourself. And that leads to, well, who's my neighbor? How did that steer you then as you were studying that? I found it to be a really beautiful passage for a lot of reasons. And I think there's a lot of angles to it. Of course, it's a story where there's a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And there is a priest that passes by him, and then a Levite that passes by him. And then a Samaritan comes and sees this man, puts him on his horse, takes him to the inn, tells the innkeeper to take care of him. And, you know, it's a story that is both demonstrating the power of mercy in a relationship with a stranger. And it's an example of what a neighbor is. For me, though, I really found myself adjacent with another text, which is Martin Luther King's book, Strength to Love. And in that book, King articulates, I think, a brilliant expression of that parable where he both unpacks it and says it is good to do mercy, but he asks a much more vexing question, and that is, why was the road from Jerusalem to Jericho so dangerous in the first place? And when I read that from the words of King, Mm -hmm. I found myself resonating deeply with the question and decided I've got to switch it all up. I've got to go all in on answering that question in my context. Wow. So as you began asking yourself this bigger question, why is the road dangerous in the first place, which is the stage of the whole parable? What happened next? Where does that lead you in your thinking? At that point, you're forced to ask the questions like, what's the role of government? Or what's the role of the church? 
how does the nonprofit sector engage? When you look at the complexity of how a neighborhood works or the complexity of how a jurisdiction works, you begin to realize that we've stood up a significant number of structures and systems, many of which do great work, some of which struggle to serve the most vulnerable. And it's in the convergence of those questions where I decided we needed an organization that was gonna step into that space, ask the hard questions and do hard things. We're gonna have another conversation in a subsequent episode here, Ben, where we wanna talk more at length about some of the things that the contingent does in response to those questions. But right now, to bring it back to you, do you find what you're doing addressing those questions fulfilling? And I mean, is this your game? Is this what you know you have been born to do? Or is it something that you're still wrestling with and, and trying to figure out? It all comes down to the ethic of Jesus for me. To follow Jesus is to open your home to a stranger or to lay down your life for someone else, or to acknowledge that it's better to give than it is to receive, to step into spaces where you are unafraid to both critique the religious insiders and equally as unafraid to step into the margins or spaces where those les miserables live. And for me, it's, in, it's within those ethics where the church must wrestle with how to scale these ethics to serve the most vulnerable in a way that changes things. What would you say to a, someone who is a Jesus follower and is trying to put their arms around this line of thought? How could they start? Where would they begin? I would reference them to John chapter one, where John the evangelist articulates that the light is shining in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out. And in that light, there is life. And that word life in Greek is the word zoe, which means deep, meaningful life. I would articulate that as a follower of Jesus, the deep, meaningful life is squarely found in the battle between light and darkness. And we, as followers of Jesus, ought to acknowledge that we have access to the light. That light is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. And so therefore, we ought to find ourselves in dangerous spaces. So what I've heard today from Ben Sand is this guy discovered Jesus. He had an intersection with Jesus and the ethics and the, and the values of Jesus began to speak into his life. And he gave himself into following Jesus, transformed by it. And in that journey, you discovered that it was not enough simply to intellectually or even emotionally have a moment with Jesus. You actually have to throw yourself into a contest between light and darkness and bringing life, deep life, into the world around you. And whatever it takes, you want to be in, even if you have to be in a dangerous place. Have I got that? I'm saying that's where the good stuff is. That's what you heard. And I'm going to stop right now, and I need to take a deep breath and pray for myself. But maybe you want to join us because we all need wisdom beyond ourselves to understand and navigate. How do we? ourselves experience deep life and actually make that possible for others. Join us in prayer. You can right now. Take a deep breath. Our Father, we're so thankful today for the dynamic power of your word, for the way in which the living Christ still lives, 
for that witness of Ben Sand and your call in his life and the way you're speaking to all of us too. And I pray, Lord, that we'll have hearts opened and eyes opened and ears opened to hear you steer us, maybe even call us to places we never thought possible because we're actually following Jesus. For anyone, Lord, who's in this prayer who doesn't even know Jesus, I pray that you will make that bridge built, that they might find someone as Ben Zand did, who will come alongside and mentor and breathe life, but not just so that they can get to a moment, but so they can get to a lifetime. Thanks for hearing our prayer, and we offer it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ben Zand, come back. Promise me you're going to come back. We want to talk more. I'll be here. All right. Jay Harvey, come back. I will be right here. We're glad that you joined us too. And uh, we want to encourage you to reach out and let us uh, talk with you to hear your voice or to even hear your thoughts. You can do that by dialing our phone. It's toll free, 24 hours, seven days a week, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. You can also go online and find us. Jay, if somebody wanted to check us out online, where would they go? Uh, Jim, they would go to www.cbhviewpoint.org. That's it. CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope. That is who we are. Check us out online. You can read about the ministry or send us an email. And if you're accessing this conversation on social media, you could just put a message in the feed. We're watching that too. Or at the very last, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint. Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. Thanks for joining us today. For everyone at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.